You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Welcome, listeners, to the Renegade Economist. This week, we're talking from the offices of Shelter WA with the executive officer, Chantelle Roberts. Chantelle, welcome to the Renegades. We're just talking about the state of housing in Australia and how, when I visited Mackay and visited uh, Connect Housing there, it was interesting that they'd been through the mining boom there. A lot of housing was uh, brought to the market and then uh, the mining boom dried up and so uh, housing prices had fallen uh, quite significantly there and there was talk of uh, housing actually being affordable. Well, Chantal, uh, here in Perth, is housing affordable? Uh, not in Perth and possibly in some of those mining towns up north, housing has come down in terms of people who want to purchase their housing but it hasn't come down enough for those people on a lower and um, even a very low income that's really difficult for them to access the rental market and of course they're virtually locked out of the purchase market altogether. And that gets hard, isn't it, when they're locked out of the rental market as well. And that must put a lot of pressure on organisations like yourself. Give us a quick rundown on what Shelter WA provides for the community. We're a peak body for social and affordable housing. We also do a lot of work around homelessness in Western Australia, including we host the Homelessness Week in August every year on behalf of Homelessness Australia. Uh, We're the only state actually that is able to obtain some funding to do that from our Lottery West here in WA. That's quite good, isn't it, actually? I've seen a number of buildings uh, with the Lottery House uh, logo on it and that means that this government-granted licence for running a lotto actually delivers something back to the community Mm. in terms of this funding base that supports what what other organisations benefit from lottery funding? Any not-for-profit organisation or community organisation. Some of the local councils also get grants. So there's all the lottery houses around the whole of WA, such as the one that we're housed in. They're given to the community uh, sector for nothing. So this building has been given to us. We have to abide by certain rules, like have an administrator, we have to pay rent, but we set the rent and all that sort of stuff. So our rent is really, really affordable as a not-for-profit organisation. So the only people who can uh, rent office space here are not-for-profits. But they also have grants for community projects, for research, for all sorts of things. And they provide... Uh, grants for IT for community organisations. So all our computers and our server, our IT, has actually been funded by Lottery West here. Gee, well, that's fantastic to see this culture of anti-gambling here in Western Australia. And for so long you fought against poking machines being anywhere can Except you, the casino. Well, what's the story with Burswood? How that only has come about uh, of recent, you know, in the last five years or so, hasn't Burswood? No, no, no it's been there for a long, long time. Is it yeah. just that Crown took over it? Crown has taken over five years ago. Yep. Yeah. Ah, yeah. right. Because I know that 
that gambling culture has been fought against very well here in WA. Yeah, and now one of the issues that we've got is places like Lotto Land have come on board, which is um, American Lotto, which has a much bigger pool but probably less chance of people winning it. It's actually competing with Lottery West, whereas Lottery West, you know, our lotto here, gives back to the community sector. Lotto land just stays in America. Mm. Well, same with Tats Lotto. Uh, A few shareholders make money out of it, but the everyday public doesn't get a share of uh, the millions and billions of dollars in profit they make every year. So it's a good example of the state recognising the power of a monopoly mm. and ensuring that the public gets some share of that uh, as as a return on, on this licence right to be able to sell Tats Lotto tickets. So uh, I'm pleased we broached on that topic. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we've had a, a good old discussion this morning about the state of housing policy in here. I probably should have turned on the recorder half an hour ago. But yeah. um, <laughs> Chantel... Uh, a big issue that's that the people of Western Australia and Australia have to face is the state of Indigenous housing and some of the problems that have resulted from ATSIC being gutted. Uh, how how is housing holding up here in Western Australia for our first people? Um, well, it's it's not good. Firstly, we've got the reform that's going on, regional reform. And we don't know what's going to come out of that specifically. We are being, uh, you you must have heard, um, because there were some demonstrations in Melbourne and Sydney about closing the communities. Absolutely. So that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, yeah. That actually was our Premier using the wrong language, really. Um, You know, he stepped right back from that. No communities are going to be closed as such. Some of the services to some of the very, very small communities will no longer be funded by government because at the moment they are. Um, so, But the communities will still be open for people who want to live there without services. Um, but we do have a huge issue in WA in terms of housing for our first peoples here and um, and it concerns me greatly. We're actually, Shelter WA, um, are working on a project to try and get a, a f- Aboriginal housing strategy developed at the fo- federal level so that something is actually done in a concrete way in terms of housing for Aboriginal peoples. Australia-wide. And and this is um, part of my involvement with Homelessness Australia. I sit on on the Homelessness Australia board as the special issues representative and my special issue that I've chosen to represent is Aboriginal housing and Aboriginal homelessness. And how is the rate of Aboriginal homelessness going? Because with the rental market more and more unaffordable, that must be a, quite an issue. I think uh, from memory, just off the top of my head, Aboriginal people represent about 26% of the homeless population in WA, which is huge when you think that they are only 3% of the population. So uh, that's a, a huge issue for me personally, but also for Shelter WA, obviously, um, and for a lot of other people within our sector. I think it's it's just criminal to me that Australia's first peoples are not able to access 
safe and affordable housing. How are the cultural needs of Aboriginal people being met with or what sort of feedback loop is going on between the type of housing that's provided at lowest cost compared to something that would suit the traditional Aboriginal clan style of living? I think a lot of, a lot of the cultural needs in terms of housing, I think, are being met in the communities, um, in urban uh, in the urban areas, not so much. And I think, you know, a lot of work has gone on um, and been put in by the housing authority in terms of making sure that the housing was appropriate for those people living in those communities north of WA, mostly, mostly north, but not much in the urban area. So within the urban area, Aboriginal housing is actually mainstream housing. We, we do have an Aboriginal housing directorate within the public housing department, but there is no specified Aboriginal housing anymore within public housing and social housing. It is, it's mainstreamed. So the, the data collection on t in terms of how much housing is provided, uh, you know, repair bills, those sort of things, is that lost in the mix? Is that what you're talking about? Um, it, it probably is because sometimes people don't identify as Aboriginal who go into public housing. So it, it would be lost in those instances. But uh, quite apart from that, it also means that we are expecting Aboriginal people to live in a European way, whereas, you know, they would quite possibly require a different type of housing even in the urban areas because of the extended family, the fact that, you know, the family groups are a lot bigger quite often, but they have to, they just have to live within what's available. You're on 3CR's Renegade Economist and this week we're talking to Shelter WA's Chantal Roberts and as I travel around the country, it's been, uh, you know, really quite rewarding seeing the various policies different communities have in place to look after their people. And one of the um, economic policies that uh, is, is widely respected is WA's Keystart program. Now, Chantel, can you uh, give us an overview of what Keystart is all about? So Keystart is a home ownership tool, um, uh, home loan available for people at uh, low to moderate income. It's not really available for people on a very low income except for specific cohorts such as people with disability and people uh, from Aboriginal background who may be able to access some loans. Keystart is I believe it's great. It allows people on a low to moderate income to get into home ownership with a very low deposit of up to $3,000. It, it gives people a leg into the market and, and therefore an opportunity to have stability in their housing. Particularly, and there's different um, types of loans available through Keystart. One is Shared Start, where you're only buying a percentage share of the property, anywhere between 40 and 60%, and the housing authority owns the other percentage. Again, that is really good, and that's available for people on a very low income as well. 
And this so. has been running since the 80s, hasn't it? Yes. And, and both sides of government support it? It would seem so. Mm, and I know people are earning over $75,000 are, are, are cut off from, that's their threshold, their income threshold. Of um, I actually I think it's been put up to uh, closer to 90000 now. Right, yeah. okay. Mm. Yeah, well, that's certainly something that people like Saul Eslake and others uh, talk about as uh, an innovative housing affordability policy. And um, if you ask me, uh, it would need to be married with uh, something like the Canberra Land Rent Initiative. So we have both the, the credit side of the equation and then the, the land side of the equation in sync in a way because Keystart gives you that access to credit and kind of akin to the first homeowners grant if everyone gets access to more credit then it can push the price of housing up whether uh, that increase in housing price or land price is is worth the savings in some of the social costs uh, from having people locked out of communities so that's that's a debate for another day, but uh, yeah, yeah, and and you know when you think the um, shared equity loans that are available, are very much akin to the land rent, uh, quite different obviously because we don't have land rent access here in WA. We would need to have some new legislation in order to bring that about, um, and and. There'd have to be some work done with banks, you know, whether they're going to lend just for the building and doesn't include the land. That's that's another issue that um, possibly, you know, there needs to be a little bit of work there done. Listeners, I saw an absolute classic. I think uh, I must have seen over 100,000 land for sale signs on, on this journey. But uh, in, near Coogee Beach where we're staying, there's one uh, quick... The next 10 buyers, you can share in $100,000 worth of gold bullion. A big, big photo of uh, a gold bar there. And, of course, uh, that is a reflection of uh, the soft property prices uh, that are existing here in Perth in that uh, yeah. many, most developers are lent on by their banks and they can't actually reduce land and house prices because that means the banks have to write down their loan value their, their loan portfolio so instead they give away free cars or free furniture or here in perth the innovative uh, free bullion <laughs> so yep. there's all these tricks out there for um, first home buyers to be aware of and mm. how do you think we best educate the masses so they can see through the the spruker spin that is on the nightly news so often well i'm not really sure i guess we do our bit and um you know one of the ways is for people to subscribe to shelter wa so that they get our newsletter to see what's happening but also have a look at our website there's also some information on the housing authority website not about educating people about those sorts of tricks and things and we i must say we don't have those as as well but we do warn people that they need to be wary of certain things when they want to enter into the the home ownership market in particular um, but also you know responding to ads for sharing for rent that's it, a big it, one, isn't it, is, yes. is how the rental market plays out. And years ago, we used to run an event called Speed Renting. It was like speed dating. Yep. But those with an empty room would come to a bar and those looking for a room and they'd all spend a couple of minutes with each other and discuss these things. 
Now there's flatmates.com.au, which does a lot of that online, that sort of vetting process. But, uh, yeah. Is that a paid? Do people have to pay for that? I think if you're listing the room, you do. But if you're looking, you don't. You don't. Okay, yeah, that's good. Because we have Gumtree as well um, and the Quokka here, where a lot of people, that's how they would find a room to rent or or a share place uh, because the ads are really cheap or free. Um, so people who are, you know, uh, and private landlords as well would... Uh, but how do, you c- how do you find those people that you know, uh-huh, this is someone who knows how to clean up after themselves, they, you know, they know how to clean the toilet, they're, they're responsible with their finances, uh, that, you know, as more and more people get locked out of housing, the, the social contract, this implicit relationship we have with each other, when so many kids are brought up uh, with a remote control in their hand, uh, mm. you know, they don't know how to think for themselves a lot of the time. It must be something that puts a lot of stress on those rental households. Well, it does, but, you know, I've been here a long time and when I first left home, I had to share because I couldn't afford to rent my own place and you just played it by ear. Like, you you lived and learnt, more or less. You kind of had to, you know, and I guess you, you still have to do you that. You still do, but now we have all this information online. We can learn at a rate of knots. That's um, true. I'm just wondering how the rental culture might be adapting to... You know, these situations where they're facing this long-term prospect of a, a life as a renter and they're trying mm. to find a landlord who can um, work with them in creating a beautiful home. How do we forge those relationships? Yeah, well, that's a difficult one and I think it's probably something that we need to think about a bit longer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's something that, you know, I've always... I've had this thought for a number of years you know many of us have read he died with a falafel in his hands and and learnt a lot about the horror side of of share households but there's plenty of magic that goes on in those spaces Mm. and Mm. um, a a lot of the permaculture type world and people into community gardens and growing their own food doing all the sustainable rights uh, are building that culture up I think and uh, it's not long until we start um, hearing more about best practices um, as a renter and what you can do and and how to find that landlord who's yeah. going to be supportive and, and help people through that, that minefield of options. And when you're talking about landlord, you're talking maybe about the person who's the main renter of the property? Is that who you're no, talking about no, or the actual the, owner? The, the actual owner and um, because... For me, one of the the keys to finding a good rental property is to find someone who bought 20 Mm. or 30 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 1980s prices of $70,000, the rents required to pay that off would have uh, occurred probably 15 years ago. And so that landlord is not going to be as pressured to have the current market day rents as what someone who bought six months ago is. You would hope, but I, I don't – I'm not as optimistic as you, I don't think. I think most people would just – I mean, how many places have you seen that are 
1980s or 90s rent here. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I've only been here uh, 36 hours, but you can find those old landlords who, uh, you know, particularly the old Greek landlord who's uh, a bit of a character. They're, you know, they're like gold to find someone who owns a, a property like uh, in, in Darabin or Preston, Brunswick in Melbourne. Yeah, uh, you're very yeah, lucky yeah. to find that person in the... That, in a way, that story of the rents that were required to pay off a property that was bought in the 80s compared to now, yep. uh, people go, geez, why does property cost so much? And that's where, um, for those uh, renegade economists out there, will remember this story of economic rent. And that is the ability to charge above the cost of production. And when land was a gift to all living beings, then really any price above zero is is an economic rent, and yeah. that's why yeah. uh, we at Prosper Australia are so passionate about this this land tax story. And uh, here in WA, of course, there are always some interesting personalities in the billionaire class, and Gina Reinhardt um, is top of my list in terms of people's houses to uh, film whilst I'm here. But Nigel Satterley seems to be someone who gets in the press a lot of the time. He, he's a Liberal Party backer. He's uh, causing trouble for Colin Barnett here, there and everywhere. Uh, what sort of relationship does the development industry have with uh, the Western Australian government? Well, I can only go by some of the um, UDIA events that have gone on where a lot of people go to these breakfasts that cost quite a bit of money um, and particularly when Colin Barnett is there speaking you know, so when there was, there's somebody from government, they people do seem to um, hang on every word. So I don't know personally what sort of relationship they have, but I can imagine that it's quite good mm. and it seems to be. Well, it was a shock to hear that uh, the former Queensland Premier Newman now works for the biggest uh, land developer in Brisbane. So yeah. that yeah. sort of revolving door, is there much evidence of that between uh, planning ministers, between former premiers? Uh, there's been a few colourful uh, uh, premiers uh, who have been tied up in the real estate game. Who was the guy who used to wear the hat? Burke. Burke. Yes, a Brian Burke. <laughs> any, any stories on Brian Burke? No, no, I haven't actually heard f about him for a long, long time, so no. Look, I, I guess that's part of part and parcel of being in politics, I suppose, is um, you have your relationships with business. You have to. But having said that, Shelter WA is also trying to develop some relationships with the building industry in particular um, and the development industry because we want people to from that industry to actually take some responsibility in terms of reducing the costs of housing in Western Australia, making it more accessible for people on a low income, but also partnering with some community housing providers in providing some social housing as well as some affordable housing. But social housing in particular, that's not happening all that much. But when you, you know, the, the majority of people, when they think of social housing or public housing, 
They think of the person on the doll who's never going to work. That sort of, you know, that that myth is totally wrong. Two-thirds of the people living in public housing actually are either on a disability pension or on a senior's pension. So you've got people with disability. Two-thirds of those people in public housing have a disability and still do some work in many cases or are a senior an age pensioner so you know f- they c- it could be possible for the private industry to put some of their profits aside to build some social housing for seniors we're seeing a growing number of particularly elder women who are becoming homeless because they can't afford to continue to rent privately a huge issue, yeah. um, single mums and, and the financial pressure they go through. And but how senior many women I'm talking about. Senior women. Older women, mm. seniors, um, who have worked all their lives or brought up a family all their lives, don't have enough super, have never been able to get into uh, buy their own house and now are finding that they can no longer cope with the rising private rental market. Mm, it's certainly huge, huge pressures there. And uh, uh, what is the state of the planning legislation and the social inclusion aspects of major developments now? Is it 5 10% of properties are uh, meant to be affordable? Only uh, with state developments, 15% um, is supposed to be affordable. And part of that 15% should be some social housing as well, 6 or 7%. But that's only supposed to be happening, well, it's not enforced within private development, only if the private development is on Crown land or state land, right? Um, But it doesn't always happen. I know that the Housing Authority, they do own a lot of their own land and obviously they do that because they have a, a development arm as well. Um, and they do a lot of that. But the majority goes to affordable housing rather than social housing. Mm, well, either way, it can't keep up with the uh, the disparity between our low wages and these rising rents, these rising house prices that are accelerated so greatly by all the tax incentives given to property speculators. Yep. Well, Chantelle Roberts, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on The Renegade Economist and good luck with your excellent work here in Western Australia. Thanks very much for listening to The Renegade Economist. Get in touch via renegades at earthsharing.org.au. Check the show notes on earthsharing.org.au in the next 24 hours. And always uh, keep an eye on our Facebook and Twitter accounts at Earthsharing. My name's Carl Fitzgerald. Keep an eye on your wallets. Keep an eye on the policy fraud. Let's change this economic system.